invite you to turn in your Bible this morning to Leviticus chapter 5, as we've come now to the fifth offering. We've had the burnt offering and the peace and grain offering, uh, the, the sin offering, and now we come to the guilt offering. The guilt offering, also known as the reparation offering, compensation offering, I think the old King James has a trespass offering, and we're going to read from chapter 5, verse 14, through chapter 6, verse 7. This is God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing, and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest." And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he has made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven." It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned, and has realized his guilt, and will restore what he took by robbery, or what he got by oppression, or the deposit that was committed to him, or the lost thing that he found, or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full, and shall add a fifth to it, and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do, and thereby become guilty. Let's ask the Lord to bless. Well, God in heaven, you gave these words for the, the blessing of your people so long ago, and yet, Lord, they contain a rich blessing for us today as well. I pray that the spirit that the Lord inspired these words would now illumine our hearts, uh, that we might hear and understand the, the, the goodness and beauty of Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Uh, Kenneth Matthews, in his commentary on uh, the book of Leviticus, uh, tells the story of uh, Robert Nurenin and uh, his overdue library book. Uh, Robert, when he was in ninth grade, took out a book, I think it was called The, uh, the Prince of Egypt, and, um, and misplaced it somewhere in the house, and uh, so he didn't return it. It would show up from time to time, uh, until finally, uh, 47 years later, um, he returned the book to the library. Uh, He said, quote, I figured I'd better get it in before we waited another 10 years. 57 years late would be embarrassing. 47 apparently didn't have that uh, sentence on it. But, um, of course, he had to pay the late fee. Uh, And if you add up uh, one penny a day uh, late fine, that comes to $171.32, and he paid it uh, in full. I think the the most uh, um, that's ever been paid is $345 
Um, someone also had a book up for 47 years, but then it was two cents a day. Um, so uh, the, the point is that he, he, uh, he made right what, he had, what, he had, what um, was wrong. He, had, he paid the fine uh, for the penalty, re- returned the book, and paid his debt. Uh, the text this morning is about paying debts. Debts that we owe to the Lord and, and to others. Um, it reminds us this morning that sin does create a real debt. Uh, we owe God uh, worship and love and obedience and submission. We owe that fully. And when we fail to give that to God, then we, we incur a debt, a true debt. Uh, we owe other people love and, and kindness and, and truth. And, uh, and, and when we sin against them, <clears throat> we incur a debt. And uh, the, the debt needs to be repaid as evidence of a genuine repentance. And so we'll see that this morning as well. Well, here in, in Leviticus, God graciously makes a way for Israel to make right the debts that they have towards God and toward, uh, toward one another. And so we come this morning to the, the guilt offering, or as I said, the compensation or reparation offering. There's a conversation, of course, taking place in our country today about uh, reparations concerning the evil of slavery. Uh, and the concept of restitution and reparation is clearly a biblical concept. Um, there's a, um, I've sent out in my pastor's post this week an article by uh, Kevin Young, a review of a book that Kevin Young did um, of, a, of, a, of a book written by Duquan by the title Reparation, um, Duquan being a PCA pastor. And I thought it was just um, Kevin's response to that was a very helpful um, discussion about the biblical principles of reparation. I'll leave that to you. We're not going to get into that uh, this morning. Uh, Matthews has done an excellent job in his commentary of outlining the text, and I'm just going to follow his outline. So if you, if you have that commentary, uh, and you'll notice uh, that I've taken his, the outline straight from there. I see no reason to um, reinvent the wheel. Uh, the, the, the text breaks down into two basic points, parts. The first part, uh, chapter, the end of chapter 5, being the, the ways that we defraud God and what to do when we defraud God, when we rob from God. The second, uh, the first part of chapter 6, then the second part deals with uh, defrauding our neighbors, defrauding others. And what do we do when, when that happens? And so let's just begin by um, chapter 5, verse 14 and following. Um, this portion is also broken into two parts. You'll see the, there's uh, two paragraphs. Uh, the first paragraph, three verses, deals with defrauding God in the manner of his holy things. Uh, the second paragraph, three verses, deals with defrauding God regarding to his holy law uh, in a more general sense. Uh, we'll begin then by looking at uh, what, it, uh, what God requires when we defraud God concerning his holy things, uh, if anyone commits a breach of faith, God says, and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord. A couple of things just to point out about uh, this sin, the nature of the sin. It's related to the holy things of God. So this would be anything related to the tabernacle, later the temple, uh, anything that's related to the sacrifices, the offerings that are required, the festivals, um, Anything that's related to the priesthood, any of God's holy things, things that God claims for himself, uh, these would be sins that are in violation of those things. Uh, so if uh, you ate uh, from the bull that was offered for the burnt offering, remember that was supposed to go entirely to the Lord. You didn't get any of it, unlike the peace offering where you could, you, could, uh, um, you could have the most of it. So if you ate from the bull that was offered, well, that belongs to God. The burnt offering is God's, and so to eat from that would be to desecrate that sacrifice. 
The, um, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we hear about Eli's wicked sons who took to themselves meat from the sacrifices that did not belong to them. It belonged to God. They were literally robbing God of what belongs to him. And we read um, God's feeling about that. The sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for they treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. That's a sin against God's holy things. In Malachi, we read about God's anger with Israel because they were robbing God literally regarding his tithe. That belongs to God. Their tithes and offerings, God commanded that they give them, and so to fail to do that is to sin against the holy things of God. And the term breach of faith shows what a serious thing it really is. So um, in Numbers chapter 5, you find that same term, a breach of faith, used for when a man uh, comes to the priest with his wife, whom he suspects as having committed adultery. A breach of faith has that serious weight to it. That's how seriously uh, God takes it. It is covenant infidelity. It's you're robbing from your God. Okay, that, that's pretty evidently not something that's supposed to be done. And God, uh, God is he's, he's incensed by it. He's very, he's very upset by it. Uh, he, uh, he calls his people to live in covenant fidelity with him and to give him what he deserves. Now again, this is, uh, the text refers to unintentional sin. It doesn't mean you didn't know what you were doing. But it's, it's differentiated from high-handed sin, such as Eli's sons. There was no sacrifice, uh, guilt, there was no guilt offering for those men. Uh, there was just the death penalty. So this would be, you, you robbed God of his tithe, or you in some way, maybe accidentally, but in some way you infringed upon God's holy things, and uh, you were guilty. And God provides a way then for you to make that right. <clears throat> so the, the restitution involves two parts. First, you bring um, a sacrifice of a ram without blemish, so a, a, a male lamb without blemish, uh, God reminding Israel that their sins deserve death. He shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock for a guilt offering. That's one part. The other part is the payment of a fine. So if you, um, the text says, he shall make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. So if you had, if you had robbed the Lord in a tithe or in a sacrifice, an offering of some sort, then you had to pay it in full and then add a fifth to it and give that to the priest. So the, um, the, the, the idea here is that you've defrauded God in some, in some way, you've, you've robbed from God, you need to make it right. The result of your sin offering, your guilt offering, um, is, is, is wonderful. It's, the result is forgiveness. It's a big deal to rob God, to defraud God, to, to transgress his holy things. Uzzah, remembered, did that and died. He reached out his hand to steady the, the, the Ark of the Covenant as it was being transported on, on an ox cart. Uh, and and uh, he reached out his hand and touched it and died immediately. It's a big deal to, to mess with God's holy things. God takes it very seriously, for he's a very holy God. And yet, the, the, through this guilt offering, you could come and it says, the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. Uh, you could walk away knowing that, that the sin 
was atoned for. The debt was paid. You'd made your payment of the debt and the sin had been atoned through the blood of the ram and you were free to go. A free man, free to enjoy the love and favor of God. That would be a good day. If you, if you came to the, to the tabernacle recognizing you had seriously grieved and offended God by robbing God and through this means you walked away knowing that the matter was resolved completely. Well, what about sins concerning God's holy law? Verse 17. If anyone sins doing any of the things that by God the Lord's commandment ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. The text doesn't go into detail. It's a very broad category. It just it refers to things that ought not to be done, things that God had commanded the Israelites not to do. And even though you maybe did it by mistake, the guilt is real. The text says he has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. You can't plead ignorance, as we talked about last week. And we're not told exactly how the person comes to know his guilt. Uh, I think the commentators are right to say it's most likely God at work through your conscience. God revealing to you that what you've done uh, was contrary to his will, contrary to his word, contrary to his law. As we read, like even in Ephesians this morning, I, I hope as, as, you, as we were reading that, you were reminded of things that you've done this week that when you did it, it didn't seem like a big thing. You, you uh, spoke an unkind word or gossiped maybe, um, and it, it didn't seem like a big deal. Maybe you got angry. Well, that's just kind of how your life works. Right? So you're, just, you're just doing you. And then, and then the word of God comes. And it, and it says, well, th- th- those sorts of things have no place in the lives of God's people. It doesn't belong there. And you realize that you've sinned. And your conscience convicts you of your sin. That's exactly how the, how the law of God works and how our conscience is supposed to work. And once again, uh, a ram then must be brought, or it's equivalent in money for those maybe who didn't have a ram. The priest would make atonement. And you would be forgiven. You could know that uh, things had been made right between you and God. Well, what about defrauding your neighbor? That's the second portion, second part of the text. The Lord spoke again. If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor. Just, just notice how that is written. If you commit uh, a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving your neighbor. God takes... Um, your sins against your neighbor as seriously as he does sins against his holy things. Your neighbor, right, your, your brother and sister in Christ is a holy thing belonging to the Lord. And your sins against your, uh, your brother and sister in Christ is a sin that God takes very seriously. Cannot love the Lord, right, if we do not love our neighbor as ourselves. So Matthew writes, a people in covenant with God have been formed into a covenant community with shared obligations toward one another as well as toward God. To offend one is to offend the other. And a true signal of a regenerate heart is the way in which commitment to Jesus changes our behavior towards others. Those who say, I have a, you know, I'm a Christian, I have a relationship with the Lord, and yet that relationship with, with Jesus is not having any impact upon their relationship with others, uh, that person has, has deceived himself. God wants the Israelites to know that their sins, if they live in sin in the community, they are living in sin against God himself. 
Well, the crime itself is not, uh, the, the, the list of crimes here, it's not an exhaustive list. These are examples, but they're helpful examples of ways that we defraud our neighbor. A de- a deceiving a neighbor in a matter of deposit or security. So maybe you've given, uh, you've given your neighbor a deposit. You've uh, maybe taken a loan from him. You give, a, you, you give him something by means of deposit. And then when you pay your loan back, right, you're supposed to get the deposit back. But your neighbor says, you didn't give me a deposit. I, I don't have any record of any deposit. And he keeps, he keeps your goat. Well, that's, that's defrauding. That's robbing your neighbor. Uh, and the text specifically says, through robbery, right? You saw something that wasn't yours, and you took it. Boys and girls, I know you've known this temptation. You, you see a toy or maybe a candy bar that doesn't seem to have an owner, and um, you just take it there, right? Finders keepers, losers weepers. Isn't that how it works? Not biblically, right? You, we're not allowed to just take things from people. God sees, and, and, and uh, that's, that's defrauding our neighbor. The word oppression is used here. Uh, can also be translated extortion. It means to obtain, obtain something through force or intimidation. Um, so um, I think uh, an egregious example of this would be the, the chattel slavery that was practiced in our country, where, where, where people were forced through um, for, force and intimidation to give their life, their labor, right, to, to slave owners. That, that's, that's extortion. That's, that's oppression. Uh, there can be other ways this happens. Maybe, maybe um, you uh, can exercise power in a, in a working relationship and you can, can demand of workers things that don't rightfully belong to you in, that, in, that, uh, in, their, in their job, but you demand they do these sorts of things, otherwise there will be a penalty. It can happen uh, anytime there's a, a power relationship. Boys and girls, just a note, this doesn't apply to you. So if mom and dad say clean your room, otherwise, right, force or intimidation, that's perfectly fine in parent-child relationships. With love, of course. All right, I didn't want anybody walking out of here. Um, if you find something lost and you lie about it, so you find something and, and your friend says, hey, did you see my, um, my new hat? No, I haven't seen it. And you're lying. Well, you're defrauding your neighbor. These are just examples of all the different ways, and the text clearly says any of the ways that people defraud their neighbors. So what do you do when your conscience makes you aware that you've done this? Well, once again, two things. You have to restore what you've stolen in full to the person you defrauded along with 20%. The 20% seems to be to, to, to pay back for the time that they were without it. It's, 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 it's to make sure the restitution is in full. Um, and the second thing is, is, again, to bring a ram. Or its equivalent as a compensation to the Lord. So you need to do restitution to the, the, the neighbor you defrauded and then compensation to the Lord. An acknowledgement that you've sinned against God. So Matthews, again, says, to restore the property and make the monetary payment is not enough to appease God. Reconciliation required setting things right with God as well as with the person wronged. Defrauding God and a neighbor was such a serious violation that God demanded the loss of life for the offender graciously substituted in the offering of a ram. But again, uh, by this, this offering, the sin is atoned for. 
Verse 7, the priest shall make atonement before, for him before the Lord. He shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, assurance. You see, the, the guilt offering is a, is a gracious and healing way of repairing the damages that happen in a community, uh, covenant community because of sin. F- through this guilt offering, the sin is atoned for, the victim is repaid, and the sinner is restored to full relationship with the Lord and his neighbor. The matter is fully and completely done. Uh, the story of Zacchaeus in the New Testament is a wonderful example of this. You read about it in Luke uh, chapter 19, where this, this tax collector, a wicked tax collector, who defrauded people as a normal act of business, met Jesus. And Jesus turns his world upside down. Jesus comes to his house, an unthinkable thing for a religious person to come to the house of, of a tax collector. Zacchaeus is blown away by the grace and mercy and grace, the kindness of God in Jesus. And uh, in verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, the fourfold principle comes from Exodus chapter 22, where um, the law says that if you stole someone's sheep, you have to pay back the sheep and fourfold, because sheep were just vital to the way of, of life back then. And Zacchaeus takes that principle and applies it. If I've defrauded someone, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, today, salvation has come to this house. Just imagine the joy that Zacchaeus has as he pays back those he's defrauded asking for their forgiveness. Think of the blessing that would flow to the people who've been defrauded. They've never seen a tax collector do anything like this before. Um, what has happened to this man? What's happened to him, of course, is Jesus happened. And, and what a witness to the gospel. And Jesus delights in the salvation that came to Zacchaeus. Well, uh, let's apply this, this uh, text and these truths this morning. Uh, there are several things just uh, that sort of highlight a biblical understanding of restitution. I uh, just want you to notice that the sacrifice of reparation, the, the guilt offering, is specifically for financial uh, sins, the, the defrauding by stealing things that belong to other people, whether it is God or other people. You need to remember that, that most of the sins that we commit against one another, for instance, um, well, they can't be made right by the payment of a penalty, can they? So if, if, uh, if you lie about me, uh, or I lie about you, slander you, I can't, I can't make that, you know, I can't say, what would it be, 25 bucks? Uh, give me a price. Let's make it right. Uh, you can't make it right. The damage is done. If you, if you murder someone, either their reputation or their person, the, the damage is, is done. You, you, you can't make that right. The only thing that, that makes that right is confession and forgiveness, right? Repentance and confession and forgiveness by the grace of God. That's what restores and repairs relationships in the body of Christ for, for all these other sorts of sins that we do. But when we sin against each other and defraud each other, well, then we have an obligation to one another to, to, to pay it back, to make it right. And it's, the restitution is made then by the person who defrauded to the person they defrauded. Notice the, uh, the, the, the money uh, goes to the person you took it from. If, it, if you took it from God, then you, then you give it to the priest. But if you took it from your neighbor, you give it to the neighbor, not to the state, not to a tribal leader, 
but you, you give it to the state. I was uh, reading a book a long time ago, I think by George Grant, who just pointed out what a wonderful change it would be in our criminal laws if instead of the state um, getting the payment for crimes, for robbery specifically, what a blessing it would be if, if someone stole from you or you from someone else, the state made you pay that person back. Think of the healing that would happen in a community. For the person who's been offended to get their, their stuff back, but also for the person who's been offended to, to see the repentance of the person coming, right? And, and, and making it right, paying it back. There, there would be wonderful healing uh, in the community. See, it benefits both the, the criminal and the victim. And then the, the, the text also shows that restitution must be prompt. On the day he realizes his guilt. You don't put this off, this matters that we pay back what we owe. Now, of course, the Old Testament uh, law, we don't observe that law any longer. It's been fulfilled in our Lord Jesus. But uh, the principle remains that when we defraud someone of something, we owe them uh, payment. We, we need to pay it back. If you've borrowed something, uh, like a book for, from a pastor, and you've not returned it, <clears throat> let those who have ears, let them hear, right? <clears throat> If you've cheated on your taxes and you've defrauded the government, well, you've defrauded the government. You, you, you owe a payment. Right? If you've in any way taken what is not yours, God calls you to make it right. Paul says, Romans 13, owe no one anything except to love each other. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Don't take your debts lightly that you owe to other people. Um, but the, the primary application of this text, of course, is the, the, the way that it reveals the gospel to us. Uh, you see, this, this offering reminds us that sin does incur debt. Um, we owe God what is rightfully His, and that is wholehearted love, complete trust, full, happy obedience all the time, holy reverence, glad submission to whatever He ordains. We rightfully owe that to God. It belongs to Him. By virtue of the fact that he is our God and we are his people. He has made us for himself. And so we owe him all these things. And when we fail to give him those things, which we do routinely, well, we incur debt, a real debt, a debt we can't possibly repay. This, this again, is the great crisis of the world. It's not, not uh, you know, you had a bad week, your car broke down, uh, you're behind on, 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 on some bills. Um, the crisis of our life is that we've been made in the image of God by God and will answer to God, and we've incurred this great debt that we cannot repay. Well, Andrew Bronar, um, great old Puritan, points out that Christ has come to satisfy the, both aspects of the guilt offering. Christ, of course, being the ram that God put forward. If you think about uh, Abraham and, and, and Isaac, Abraham's going to sacrifice his son, and Abraham says, the Lord will provide a ram. Well, God has provided a ram, a male sheep in Jesus Christ, to be our guilt offering. And Christ accomplishes both aspects of the guilt offering. He both um, uh, pays back what was stolen and pays the penalty. So he makes restitution and compensation to the Lord. Just note, by his death on the cross, he pays the penalty of our sin. He is the lamb, the ram, 
that is sacrificed, dying in our place. We, 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 we know this, we believe this, but we often stop there. That's not all Jesus did. The guilt offering doesn't involve just a ram being sacrificed. It involves payment. And by his active obedience, by, by submitting to the Lord, by giving God everything that, that God rightfully deserves, wholehearted love, complete trust, full obedience, holy reverence, glad submission, all of his life, Jesus also has been able then to repay the debt. Everything that we owed God and could not pay or would not pay, Jesus Christ standing in our place has repaid everything that was owed in our place. You see, the gospel says that not only are we forgiven, but the demands of the law is, are satisfied. The debt of our sin is paid. Colossians 2, verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. How did Jesus cancel the record of debt that stood against us? He paid it. He didn't ignore it. He didn't rip it up. He paid it, nailing it to the cross by his own body, writing paid in full with his own blood. This is what Jesus has accomplished, friends, for you, for your debt, for my debt. That's the good news of the gospel. This is what we get to go into this world with. We get to any sinner we meet who has this incalculable, unpayable debt before the Lord, we get to tell him about a Jesus who cancels all debts. I want you to imagine that um, your bank just said to you, we've got, um, we got a problem. We've got way too much money in the vault, and um, we just... Uh, want you to know all your all your debts are they're paid don't worry about them but that's not going to take care of it i want you to go into the community anybody you meet that has debt would you please tell them to come and talk to us because we would love to pay their their debts off as well how quiet would you be about that that business deal every person you'd meet right you'd be talking about this unbelievable deal that the bank down the street has just offered well, that doesn't even begin, friends, to compare to what Jesus Christ has given us in the gospel. To the debt that God has paid, and his treasuries are full, they'll never empty out. And any sinner who goes to, that, to, to, to God and, and comes confessing the guilt, laying, acknowledging the debt, and trusting in Jesus Christ, the gospel promises the debts are paid. Every debt is paid. Jesus paid it all. That is good news. That's good news. May God grant us the, the zeal, the joy to share it, to spread it, to invite other people into the riches of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who pays the debts of sinners and gives us the ability then to walk away from the sacrifice of the cross free to enjoy the eternal love and the favor of our God forever. That's a good gospel. Amen? Let's bow together in prayer. Oh Lord, our God, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for his sacrifice on our behalf where he not only, Lord, um, died the death that we deserve, but offered up the life we could never live. 
So that, Lord, you are satisfied. The, law, the demands of the law have been fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled righteousness for us. Oh, I thank you so much, oh God, that our debts are gone in Jesus. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would give us then hearts to, to live in the light of this gospel. Lord, I pray there would be restoring and healing in our body as, as we love each other. And if we've defrauded anyone in our, in our life, Lord, we'd make it right. I pray, Lord, that people, um, maybe that we owe something to for years and years. We, we took something and we need to make it right. Lord, I pray we would do that. Lord, if we've, if we've defrauded our, our employer in some way, that we'd make it right. If we've defrauded the government, we'd, we'd make it right. Lord, I, I pray that the gospel would free us to do these things, and in this way we could just magnify the grace of God that, that can change our lives and, and set us free to live owing no man anything except the debt of love. So, Lord, uh, honor your name in your body as we believe your gospel, live in your truth, and share your, your kindness and grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and, and uh, just celebrate Jesus Christ has paid our debt. Our, uh, he's paid it in full by the precious blood that Jesus built. Let's stand to sing.
God's people said. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now receive his blessing purchased with his blood. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.